Hello and welcome to the Filmmaking Stuff Podcast, where you'll get insider tactics on how to make, market, and sell your movie without the middleman. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, LA-based motion picture executive, Jason Brubaker. You may or may not know this. I'm sure, I'm sure you know this if you think about it, but there's a lot of people in the motion picture industry that really pull the levers and make things happen. And you would never know what they're doing behind the scenes because they're not the people that are showing up for premieres or the Oscars. But yet, without these people, nothing gets done in this town. And Scott Kirkpatrick happens to be one of these people. And Scott, I don't mean to say that you can't go to the Oscars or any sort of award ceremonies, but I'm saying you've done a lot of deals behind the scenes, and I think this audience should know about you. Happy to be here, and it's, it's good to be speaking with you again. And to be perfectly honest, even if I was invited to some of those award ceremonies, I don't even know if I'd want to go, but uh, just my personality. I, I would love it if, if you decide not to go, that you could just let me go in your place. I'll, I'll, I'll Don't hold me to it. We'll see how associated I am with the project, but... Happy to discuss it at the time. Well, before we get in, because I, I want to talk to you today about a concept over here at Filmmaking Stuff that we're constantly focused on, which is this idea of leveling up our career. And behind the scenes, you've certainly leveled up your career quite a bit. But before we get into it, can we just have a little bit of a background uh, in terms of your story? Because I know back in the day, you know, you started out carrying cables, and now you're one of these, frankly, a, a pretty uh, well-established executive. Yeah, it's it's kind of... Funny because, um, you know, when I really started off in wanting to get involved in this whole business, the, the, you know, the first line of logic he uses, you know, I got to be on set. That's where the action is. And so, yeah, I became a production assistant, um, carrying coffee, wrapping cables, uh, got in the union with IATSE as an electrician um, and worked on some pretty big projects. I mean, I worked on some very low production, low budget ones as well. But I mean, I worked on Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell and I'm actually in that movie as an extra in several scenes uh, in addition to having rigged a lot of the lights behind the cameras. Um, You know, it's that's sort of a lot of the stuff I was doing for a long time, but you know, that's gig to gig. You know, you work your ass off 18, 19 hours a day. You get great pay when you get into a union. And then all of a sudden it's like you're unemployed at the end of the shoot. You got to go figure it out for the next job. I got really tired of being in that gig to gig world um, and kind of realized carrying coffee wasn't necessarily the career objective I had. I saw a ceiling to all of that. Um, And then I got involved in distribution because of my production experience. Essentially, I was brought in to help manage um, an individual who, who wanted to uh, get a, a television show sort of off the ground and continue doing sales on it. I, I didn't think anything about sales. I thought I was taking a sales job and had no interest necessarily in taking it, but wanted to end the gig-to-gig lifestyle and um, started a essentially selling TV shows. I didn't know you sold TV shows. I didn't really think about that, that, you know, after you finish shooting, that there was somebody has to go make money on the product that, you know, everybody just spent a fortune making. Um, And so I was doing that and I was sort of stumbling through these phone calls and, you know, kind of got a thrill out of um, making these things happen. And so I, what I realized I was doing was I was working in the world of distribution. I was distributing television shows. And, um, at that company, I, you know, I kind of came across the reality that, you know, we needed more stuff to sell in order to gain more money. And so I was acquiring TV shows and independent movies. 
And, you know, we put together a library and we went to markets. And more importantly, you know, because I knew the distribution stuff, I was hired on to produce a television show. So, you know, very early in film school, when I when I graduated film school and kind of had this question mark of, okay, you know, how do you actually put this stuff together? And, you know, when you read a biography on somebody like Francis Ford Coppola or Martin Scorsese, and it was like, oh, you know, when they were young in their career, they just wrote a script and gathered several hundred thousand dollars to make a movie. It's like, I never really understood how you got from point A to point B in that situation. And um, I realized that distribution had all of the answers to that. And all of a sudden, these film festivals, like Cannes Film Festival, Berlin, um, places I dreamed about going in film school, all of a sudden I was being sent there all the time. And I was rubbing elbows with these people I couldn't believe and shaking hands with these people I couldn't believe. And it was because I entered that very small world of distribution, the behind the scenes stuff that you're talking about. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because I think for most of us, and and I'm similar to you in the mindset that, hey, if I'm going to get noticed in this industry, I need to go and actually create something. But I think there's a big difference between the mindset of, you know, an independent filmmaker that's looking to produce their first feature and a guy like you that's going around to the different, you know, the different markets trying to move product. And it's taken me a long time to learn this, but but I think it we really fall into this arena. You know, when we talk about different business paradigms, we're talking about the difference between a business to business type paradigm and a direct to consumer paradigm, or sometimes people call it a business to consumer paradigm. And we've seen a lot of different shifts over the years. You know, there for a while, uh, independent filmmakers finally had a way to get their films into the marketplace directly to the consumer. But now we're almost seeing a world that's, that's shifting back to where everybody wants to go subscription. And I guess my question for you is, if I'm a new independent filmmaker making my first feature, what types of things can I think about now to kind of help me navigate this world? And I know that's a loaded question. So if you want to break it up into two parts, uh, break down the difference between direct-to-consumer and business-to-business, and then the second part of the question, I, I think a lot of people would get a lot uh, from your experience. Yeah, I think what you're really hinting at is that filmmakers, writers, um, directors, etc., you know, they're thinking about that direct relationship with their product in the audience. They want to write a film or direct a project that, you know, captures a genuine emotional response from an audience, which is wonderful. But thinking that direct line kind of carves out what distributors are doing within all of this. Distributors are there on a much more business-to-business scale, meaning they're not doing direct deals with consumers. Like To give an example of this, um, in our industry, a direct-to-consumer company is like Netflix. You know, I, I pay money to Netflix to have a subscription. I pay money to Hulu to have a subscription. Um, but you know, Sony, who is producing content that appears on one of these platforms, is not doing direct business with me. They're doing direct business with the platform. And so at our side, the, the side that actually funds projects, that develops projects, that creates this stuff and has the deep pockets to produce it, um, it's they're not working with everyday consumers. They're working with these companies. And why that's important is that for directors and writers and people who want to be able to communicate with distributors, they can't just think about that direct emotional response with an audience. They have to think about how is a person with a business mindset going to be reviewing this 
project that I'm putting together. Um, so you're correct. Back in the day, you could shoot. Uh, technology has been is been very wonderful in being able to get young filmmakers to shoot movies for five thousand dollars or less in some cases, and you can shoot you know scenes of a movie on an iPhone. Uh, as we saw in the Florida project, I mean, that whole last sequence was shot with an iPhone without a permit inside of Disney. Um, and that's very exciting. But the problem is, is that with so many people being able to produce media content that's technologically capable of getting to platforms, they become inundated. And there's so much noise of indie programs out there that a lot of these major platforms are now sifting it out by going back to distributors and brokering deals. So a long-winded way of saying... Um, filmmakers, writers, producers, etc. They need to be thinking more in a, um, a business mindset about their projects, not just that direct emotional response with the audience, but identifying a core audience and then making a case as to why their project is one that fits that connection. Right. And then once they have that project, you know, what's a good roadmap for filmmakers to follow to kind of start playing a bigger game? Well, if you think about it, like, um, if you're, let's just say taking a, a project that's, um, let's use something simple, like, like a, a horror project. I'm not a big fan of horror films necessarily because there's so many of them and there's so many terrible ones, to be honest with you. Um, they're really tough to sell. But if you're trying to sell a, a horror project, um, you can look for what we call like variables of success or variables that decrease a project's risk which make it more interesting for a distributor to maybe review it, analyze it, invest in it. So that would be attachments, you know, securing a director who's very notable or securing a cast member who's very notable and, and resonates very well with a core audience that's an actively engaged horror audience. Um, you can have it based upon a subject, either a book or um, an urban legend that already has a lot of traction, already has a big audience out there of people engaged with that activity. Um, you can sort of pepper it with little things like that that suddenly make it, okay, it's not just a dream fantasy horror film that I want to put together. This is a project where I've actually thought through things like what the core audience who has money in their pockets what would make them interested in opening their wallets and paying money to see this project as opposed to another project? See, what makes that interesting, though, is you're already talking about thinking, you're, you're, you're giving us some instruction to think about the end consumer, even though our initial target may not be the end consumer. Because in your world, what you're trying to do is find an appealing a project that would ultimately appeal to the end consumer, and then that helps mitigate risk. So therefore, uh, the distributor and all the distribution outlets and, and all the international territories will be more inclined to pick it up because it represents, frankly, a project that the audience wants to see. And I guess, I guess you know, this is kind of fun because you, you and I have known each other for a while and we come, uh, we come at this problem from two distinct different angles. I, I, I oftentimes evangelize the idea of either a self-distribution plan or a hybrid distribution plan and in your world, you're like, hey, just make a really good product that appeals to the end audience and you might actually end up with a decent deal. Well, that's true. It's, um, you know, distribution, I, it's always, in my opinion, taught in the absolute reverse order. You know, I mean, when you asked me what I did 
when I was starting out. That was the critical thing. I, I never understood distribution. For me, it was like this gigantic mountain that separated me from everybody else. And what I realized, the key to climbing over it was actually just a very simple tunnel, which is, hey, you're looking at it the wrong way. And it's that um, people think, you know, you write a script, you shoot a project, you edit it, and you distribute it in that order, chronologically. And it's actually totally reversed. Distribution is first. You put together a project with an audience in mind. You know, if you're writing a script, you have to know how it ends. And if you're going to be distributing a project, you have to know who is the audience. That's its ending. Um, and so you put together the, the pieces and the components that are going to best satisfy that audience. So yeah, it's, you can self-distribute and you, if you're going to self-distribute, you have to do it the same way. You have to be thinking about your audience all the way through. You have to be thinking about the fact that, Hey, is this going to resonate well with them? Whether it's a documentary or a, a narrative feature or, you know, anything else, it's, you have to kind of think who is my core audience and what is it that they're going to be interested in seeing? I, I've mentioned this to um, other parties in the past, so I'm not sure if your listeners have heard anything else that I've said. They might have heard this point, but I like to talk about documentaries because I think it's the most clear point. Um, we are taught that we should be making documentaries or factual titles in this very objective, even-keeled way where you give equal balance to all points of view so that the consumer or the viewer can make an educated decision on how they should feel about something. And that in, in the world of business and distribution, that's 100% wrong. You, you don't give a balanced view. You give a very clear one-sided view and you absolutely support it and you make the other side look ridiculous. And I don't care what subject you're focusing on, war, uh, GMOs, vaccines, uh, health concerns, whatever it is. Um, you just take a side, you argue it to the max. And if you want to see this played out, I love to reference Fox News versus MSNBC as actual channel outlets. They both have the same news that's happening in the world to report from, but how they relay it to their core audiences is 100% different. They couldn't be further from one another. Um, and it's not a stance on <laughs> how one feels politically. It's just like, Fox News is reporting to one segment of the population and MSNBC is reporting to another. And they do it that way because they make money from advertisements. So it's a business decision. And that's how audiences, I feel, have to think about this stuff. You know, it's it's just so interesting. And I guess when I talk about self-distribution and do-it-yourself, you know, what we're really talking about, frankly, is, is an independent filmmaker putting on a different hat and becoming their own distributor. I mean, that's the way to look at it. Because the same philosophies that you're talking about playing at your level versus I'm a, you know, I'm a first time filmmaker and I'm going to distribute this myself. At the end of the day, we still have to get in front of customers. Um, and, and that's what the end outlet is. I mean, you mentioned Netflix before they are direct to consumer. They're the ones in charge of the subscriptions. They're the ones who have the audience. And I guess it's your goal working the angles that you work that if you want to get on those platforms, you got to make a deal. Um, and, and I guess that's also where independent filmmakers kind of come up against a wall because they don't have those relationships. So how do you go about once you're creating this really good content, making sure that you're partnered with the right people? And the second part of that question is how do you present yourself in a credible fashion so that somebody like you takes, takes me seriously? Um, well, what you're really asking is, um, you know, 
how do you how do you appear credible? And um, I think it all sort of stems back. Look, the way it works at the corporate level in the business world is no different than it works in um, the, the person-to-person, single-individual world as well. And what I'm trying to say here, I guess, is um, you know, at the big corporate level, you have a Disney, you have Coca-Cola, you have Procter & Gamble, you have giant companies, and they spend all of them a hell of a lot of money on branding, on marketing, so that you see a very clear image of what kind of content or what product you're going to get if you buy something from them. And to use media examples, if you take Disney and Fox News and Hustler and Nickelodeon, um, each time I said one of those, you know, a different image or a feel is popping up into your mind as to what kind of content you would find from that source. They're all credible distribution outlets and direct-to-consumer entities, but what a consumer gets and the type of consumer they're speaking to is very, very, very different. Um, that's because they branded themselves a certain way, and that exact same concept can be used with uh, somebody who wants to become a writer or wants to become a director or producer, they have to brand themselves as that. They have to be seen as that. Um, you know, I, I the, my previous book, Writing for the Greenlight, was all about how do you brand yourself as a writer? How do you get to be seen as a screenwriter? And it's really making sure, one, you write a lot and that you're just seen as a writing machine, but two, focusing in on a core niche that you can deliver better than everybody else. You know, trying to be, I, I, I have this conversation in a business side and I have it with individuals as well. As a company, the, the distribution company I work for right now, if we go into the marketplace and we say, oh, we distribute everything. We're good at everything. We're good at high-end feature films, independent films, nature and wildlife documentaries, um, and great scripted dramas, you know, we're, we're perfect. Nobody can be perfect. You spread yourself too thin, you get confused, um, and you have too many buyers to satisfy. So instead of being great at, I don't know, the 10 types of media content that exist out there, just be really great at two of them or three of them. In fact, be fantastic at those, even if you're terrible at the others. And you'll be seen as the go-to source for that type of stuff. So as a distributor, as a business-to-business company, that's how I work my consumer base and my client base. And that's how I've been able to broker some very, very high-end successful deals with major players in this business. As an individual, that's how you become a writer. You become really good at a core type of of script to write. Um, If you want to be a director, you become really good at delivering a core type of media content better than anybody else. And then you go out there and you brand yourself. And you use sources in addition to your IMDb page, which is one way to do it. Um, that's only one attribute. You, you have to maximize LinkedIn. You have to maximize Twitter. You know, you, you have all the tools at your disposal. And you can look up, you know, sources. There's a number of blogs out there that teach you how to do self-branding. Um, and you can read, you know, branding yourself 
uh, or, you know, on the dummies books or anything like that. And they offer fantastic sources, but it's really just, you have to present yourself to be exactly what it is you want to be. And I know there's somebody listening to this right now that that's hearing what you're saying, Scott, but they're like, Oh man, I, I here's another suit telling me, you know, how I got to just create yet another, uh, cookie cutter film. So, so what do you have to say to, to the listeners that are just hardcore artists that don't want to be, you know, known as anything. They just want to create everything. Uh, well, I I totally think there's nothing wrong with that at all. That the problem is y- you can't. How do I say this? Well, you can if, say it as bluntly as you want to, Scott. I mean, this <laughs> is this is a conversation we want to help people. So I think I know what you're getting at. So don't feel just don't even sugarcoat. It. Just say what you want to say. Oh, that's fine. It's it's. I, look, I get a lot of shit because people say you know all I'm talking about is how to sell out. There's, yeah, uh, selling out. And being successful, you know, those aren't one and the same things. Selling out is when, let me just reverse this a bit. If you want to do your pet project, you're not going to get it done right out of the gate. You don't have any contacts. You don't have any credibility. You've never verified to anybody that you have actually produce something of merit that's made cash that has like actually brought worth to a company, to yourself or to anyone else. You have to show people that. And you have to show people that repeatedly. You know, we always joke about one hit wonders in music and it's like, well, the, the we people always remember the band that just constantly produces and constantly produces. Well, eventually, when you're constantly producing and constantly producing, and you have two, three, two, three, four of your uh, uh, low grade, cheap zombie movies, where all of a sudden you can just write the scripts and you know t- turn it around and get funding for it and get it shot in a real quick succession because you verified and proved, hey, you know, this is something we can just churn out factory style then you have a whole arsenal of contacts that you can reach out to suddenly and say, look, you know, I also have another project in my back pocket that I've been wanting to do for a while. When you've actually been just dishing out and dishing out and dishing out success or or helping the Hollywood system and its kind of factory-minded system just delivering content, um, once you've aided that system, and people realize this is a person who gets it and understands how everything works, then all of a sudden you can start to sort of cash in those favors. And you have an arsenal of people you can reach out to. You have a a great contact list that you can go to and say, I'm trying to put this indie project together, and it's very much outside of the caliber of other stuff that I've wanted to do. Guess what? You're going to get a lot more support for it. People are actually going to take you seriously for it. You might actually have a much easier time getting funding for it, and you're going to have people who know how to get it out from point A to point B, or you would know a lot more about how to manage it so that you actually get to therefore pivot your career in the direction you want to continue on. But if you don't do the groundwork and build the foundation, you have nothing to support your dream upon. So going back, and and I want to bring this back around to close the loop on some of this thinking. So we've talked a little bit about knowing uh, your ideal target audience, the type of material that you're creating, how that's going to appeal to your audience, and, and really building projects from the ground up with the end goal in mind. Um, you also talked a little bit about funding and, and busting some of these projects out. Uh, 
one one other question about the audience thing. So let's say that I have two projects that I'm going to work on. There's the one that I really, really, really care about, you know, and I always give the example of purple pine cones. So I'll give it again here. You know, I'm, I want to really make a project about purple pine cones because I just love the concept of purple pine cones. But in actuality, the truth is purple pine cones does not have an audience and, and it's going to be a real crapshoot to find out whether or not it even works. But there's this other one that I'm kind of lukewarm about, but I think I could do, and it's about pine trees. And it turns out there happens to be an audience for pine trees. So given your experience, how would you advise a filmmaker to sort of decide against, you know, the big passion that may not have an audience versus the one that they're not as passionate about, but does have an audience? And the big reason I'm asking this, of course, is is going back to the brand thing, because doesn't that brand you as like the pine tree delivery person? And now you're pissed off because you got to continually make movies about pine trees. And I don't know why I'm using trees as an example. I just always fall back on that. <laughs> um, look, I, I get it. I really do get it. You know, it's um, in your case, the pine cone, purple pine cone is the thing that drives you. It's the dream. It's the vision. It's the thing in the future that you see yourself proudly holding an award for, let's say. But going pine trees is what helps sort of build that roadway. It starts to build that path towards that dream. It's the rational choice. Um, it's not the artistic one. It's the rational one. You know, it's, it's not, you have to produce stuff that people want. If you want purple pine cone, that's great. But purple trees are what the people want. And it's, that's your audience base. You know, I, I, it's yeah. easy to think about Rembrandt and Michelangelo and great artists like this. These will all work for higher artists. You know, most of these, quote, masterpieces that, you know, we see hanging in museums with these great names on them, uh, they were commissioned by kings. So these were artists that were hired and they went out there and they had to go hustle and sell and they painted paintings saying, look, look how good I am. I can make you as your royal family look incredible if you just hire me and not these other yohos. So it's sort of a, um, you have to look at it as if you want to be a professional in this business, you have to be, you know, you're not producing a movie that costs several hundred thousand dollars to satisfy your own ego. You're producing a movie because you're creating a product that has to generate a profit. If you're not creating products that are generating profits, the dream project you want to put together will not see the light of day. And if you just write that script, like you don't have anyone to contact to make it a reality. Well, how do I bridge that gap? How do I start working with a guy like you if I'm a guy you know, like me and I've made a few films and I'm just looking to figure out how to take things to the next level? Well, I mean, that's 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 a bigger question than you realize because it's it's sort of everyone's in their own individual place trying to figure that um, that that little thing out. But it, the the real answer I think starts with what what is it exactly that you want to do? If you want to be a writer, um, and you've written a few scripts, but none of them have ever been produced, I think one needs to sit back and say, what is it that I'm writing, and what is it that Hollywood needs? And those are two different things sometimes. You know, the way writers get hired is not, look, I wrote a script and now it's going to be acquired and now it's going to be produced into a movie. The way writers get hired is they write a lot of scripts and 
not that they get an agent necessarily, but that production companies know them to be a writer that they can call upon and in a heartbeat, hey, I need a script written in three weeks about this. Can you get it done? Yes or no. And here's how much money I'm going to pay you. Flat fee, nothing incredible, fast turnaround. And that's how the real business works. Same thing with directing. Directing isn't an artistic, let's think about where the best camera placement should be and motivation of the actors. It's about getting shit done on time and on budget. And so as a director, it's not really about the artistic journey of where am I going to place the camera today? Um, it's can you get it done on time? It's project management. So for a director, if you, if you really want to be a director, it's much more about how can I showcase, how can I brand myself as a person who can get that done? Um, the new book I wrote, Introduction to Media Distribution, has a whole chapter devoted to exactly that. And I love to reference um, a friend of mine who we both went to the same film school. He started off as camera assistant, worked his way up in the camera department, and became a cinematographer, and became a very good cinematographer. And he worked on all kinds of movies. And even while he was working on big budget movies, going back to small budget movies, he would still take side work as a second assist and, you know, didn't have this ego about it that once you step up to a new rung of the ladder, you can never go back down. He realized it's much more important to just be seen as a constant deliverer of great work. Well, he started working on Children's Hospital, that adult swim show, and he was doing incredible job shooting, you know, each episode of the program. And then eventually just got so good at, you know, working with the actors, working with the crew, working with the production team that he started directing episodes. So it took him dozens and dozens of credits on IMDb to bridge that hurdle to become a director. But now he's a director. Not only has he done Children's Hospital, he was brought on to do Mindy Project. And he did some season premieres of the Mindy Project when it was going. So, you know, that's sort of how that bridge is gapped. It's a slow, slow, steady process. You have to know exactly what you want. And you it's not that you have to wait for the opportunity to present itself so that you can go through the door clearly marked director. You have to make every opportunity that's handed to you work in your favor. And that's a totally different mindset. It's, it's, it's navigating your own field and making everything shift in the direction you want it to. So even if it's a, a, a low-paying opportunity or it's a low-budget opportunity, how can you make that work in your favor? Hey, everybody. It's Jason Brubaker here chiming in. I sincerely hope you enjoyed part one of this interview with Scott Kirkpatrick. He's a great guy. He really knows his stuff, and in part two, we're going to dive into this in a lot more detail, so you're going to want to stick around for that. This show is sponsored by Movie Plan Pro. It's the film business plan software that Tom Malloy created that he's used to raise over $25 million for his motion pictures. If you're interested in getting a copy of that template, head on over to MoviePlanPro.com, and once again, MoviePlanPro.com. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Filmmaking Stuff podcast with Jason Brubaker. If you like our show and want to get more filmmaking info, make sure you check out filmmakingstuff.com and join us every week for new filmmaking tactics. Until next time, take action and make your movie now.